Welcome to the Ark Church Podcast. On here, you'll find all of our Sunday and Wednesday messages, as well as classes and special services. If you would like more information about the Ark Church, visit us at thearkchurch.com or download our app available to all app stores. Our heart for you is that you would live for God, grow stronger, and make a difference. Enjoy. We're wrapping up a series today on uh, what difference does Christianity make? We've talked about difference as a person, difference as a presence that we're not alone. We've talked about the hope that we have in him and the forgiveness that we have in him. And the, today I want to talk about something a little bit different, but it is what difference does Christianity make? And that's different kingdom, different thinking. Different kingdom, different thinking. Now we don't typically think kingdom. We, we think country. If you go to another country, you realize things are, are different. They have different rules in different countries. Joy and I spent our honeymoon in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. And 15 years later, we went back on a sales trip. We went down to Cancun. And so this is mid-90s. We're, we're 90, actually 97. We're down there in Cancun. We were exhausted. We were just building out the church back when it was in a roller rink. And we were built out the church. And we were, man, we were just exhausted. We're coming down. We're just lying down and on the beach. I told everyone, leave me alone. I'm just going down to the beach. I turned around to adjust my chair and I turned back around. I said, Joy, don't look now, but there's two women behind us who are topless. <laughs> and Joy's like. <laughs> I said, just look straight ahead, Alan. Just look straight ahead. And I said, darling, you don't have to tell me twice. I mean, it's, it, we, but it, I realized different rules. I, I don't know about now, but in the 90s, you do that. You get arrested in, in America. Can't do that. And so different country, different rules. Different country, different language. You go to a different country, they don't speak English, you don't speak English, different language, you gotta get used to that. There was a, uh, back in the, in the Wild West, 1800s, there was a, a, a robber, bank robber from Mexico, slipped across the border, robbed a number of banks in Texas, and then slipped back across the border into Mexico with, a, with over $100,000 in gold. And Texas sent a ranger after him Ranger finally tracked him down in a small cantina outside of Nuevo Laredo. And the ranger came in, saw him. He was, his name was Jorge. And he pulled, the, pulled his gun. He pointed at Jorge. He said, okay, Jorge, I got you. He said, and you're wanted dead or alive, so you tell me where you hid the gold or I will shoot you on the spot. And Jorge just looked confused. And the bartender of the cantina said, Senor, said, Jorge doesn't speak any English. He said, but I will translate for him. So the bartender told Jorge what the ranger had said. Jorge looked at the bartender and said, oh, okay, okay. He got me, don't shoot. Um, I hid the gold, all of it, in a hollow tree down by the, the well just south of town. It's all there. And uh, the ranger looked and at the bartender and said, what did he say? And uh, the bartender said, he said, okay, gringo, go ahead and shoot me. I, I'm just not... <laughs> going to tell you. So languages can be different. Culture can be different. You know, you go, you go different, you go to a different country and their culture is different. You know, they have to always warn U.S. politicians and presidents about hand signals and things that we think are, are pretty, you know, just regular over here, over in other countries, it's a problem. Uh, other countries have different space bubbles. You know, in, in Tokyo, Japan, they have those speed trains where they actually have people that will push you onto the train. So you're just, you're like you're crammed. You, you actually have pushers who will push you onto the, to the train. It's a different culture. 
about 20 some years ago, another pastor and I, Ron Bates and I, we went to Romania. We have a, a missionary there. His name is Daniel Matthias, great guy. And Daniel's been doing this for a long time. He actually escaped communist Romania and, and but amazing story. We knew him from Lakewood. So we went to see him and we're walking through uh, this big open uh, space in, in Romania there, Timisoara, Romania. And we're walking and Daniel takes my arm and he puts his arm through my arm. And we're walking arm in arm. I am so not comfortable with that. <laughs> I have a big space bubble to begin with. And, and here we are walking. I don't even walk arm in arm with joy. I hold her hand, but I'm not walking arm in arm. And I look back and Ron is just laughing because I'm, I'm just walking so awkwardly. But in, in that culture, no one thought anything about it. It's a culture thing. Different rules, different language, different culture. But here's the interesting thing. We are part of a different kingdom. When you made Jesus your Lord, yes, you became a new creation, but you also became part of a different kingdom. A kingdom is where the king rules. It's the domain of the king. Jesus talked about his kingdom when he talked about, remember before Pilate, he stood before Pilate, and Pilate said, are you a king? And Jesus said, he said, my kingdom was of this earth. He said, my servants would fight and I would not be delivered to you. And Pilate said, are you a king? He said, you say rightly, I'm a king. He is a king. And when you made him your Lord, you got transferred into his kingdom. Look what Paul wrote the Colossians. He says, he rescued us. God rescued us from the domain or the kingdom of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Well, this is good news. This means when you made Jesus your Lord, you got rescued out of the enemy's kingdom, out of Satan's kingdom. He no longer has dominion over you. His sickness, his disease, his depression, his addiction, his all, all that junk, you got delivered out of that and you got transferred over into the kingdom of the Son of God and there's a, it's a good kingdom. There's life there. It's a wonderful kingdom. So here's the a, here's a thing. In this kingdom, in your new kingdom, it's, it's got different rules. No longer are we ruled by fear. This is a faith kingdom. We live not by fear. We don't live afraid. We live by faith. We, we don't see, but we live, we don't, we can't feel, but we live by faith in what we believe. It's a kingdom of faith. The language is different. No longer are we having to talk gloom and despair and fear and dread. Now we begin to talk hope and light and strength and God. Different language, different culture. This is not a culture of selfishness. This is a culture of love, a culture of service. Different kingdom, different thinking. A missionary to Laos, or Laos, how you pronounce it, a number of years ago said he saw something that was really uh, intriguing about the kingdom of God as he noticed the difference in Laos and Vietnam. He said, back before the colonists created clear boundaries, national boundaries, the king of Laos and the king of Vietnam were trying to determine how do you tax the, the, the citizens that lived on the border areas because the borders were fuzzy. So here's what they determined. If you ate short grain rice, you built your house on stilts, and you decorated it with Indian serpents, you were Laotian, kingdom of Laos. 
If you ate long grain rice, built your house on the ground, and decorated it with Chinese dragons, then you were Vietnamese. So what they determined was your nationality was not determined by what, where your location was, but what kingdom you belonged to was determined by what culture and standards you lived by. So you could be on the, on the border and you could have kingdom of Laos and the kingdom of Vietnam side by side. It was just the same, the same area, but they lived by different culture, different standards. He said, that's how it is with us in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, we're in this world, but we don't live by this world's standards and cultures and values. We live by God's standards and cultures and values. Different kingdom, different thinking. There's a great story in the Old Testament. In fact, it's one of my favorites. It's about how someone had to begin to think differently in terms of where he stood in the kingdom. The story concerns a man named David, who you're probably very familiar with. David, David and Goliath, probably one of the most well-known stories in the Bible. But before David was king, David was running from a, the, the first king of Israel, whose name was Saul. Saul was jealous of David. Saul wanted to kill David. So David's a fugitive for about seven years. But David and, and Saul had one thing in common, Jonathan. Jonathan was Saul's son, and he and David were the best of friends. These are the guys that you meet and you're just, man, you're close. You've got a connection there. And these guys, they said they were closer than brothers. And Jonathan did everything he could to protect David from his father Saul, even though he knew David would be king one day. In fact, Jonathan looked at David one day. He said, listen, he said, God's going to make you king and I'm going to be second command under you. He was a prince. He was destined to be king and he recognized God's hand on David. He was an amazing guy. And they, they were so close, they formed a covenant he said, we're going, we're going to be in covenant together that no matter what happens to me, you'll take care of my family. No matter what happens to you, I'll take care of your family. So they had a covenant together. It's a powerful covenant. But something happened to Saul and Jonathan. There was a battle. And Saul and Jonathan died on the same day. Now this created a problem in Saul's household. Because everyone in Saul's household was afraid of David. They thought that David would try to come in and kill them and and so they were so afraid there was panic in Saul's household when they found out that Saul and Jonathan both were dead. Jonathan had a son. His name was Mephibosheth. He was five years old. His nurse, who was looking after him, was so panicked when she heard that John, Saul and Jonathan had died that she picked the little boy up and she began to run with him. And as she ran, she fell and tripped and, and the little boy fell. And he did something to his spinal column because his legs were paralyzed. He could never walk again. So he winds up afraid and living away from David. So we'll fast forward a number of years. Saul and Saul's dead, Jonathan's dead. David is the king. He's established as the king. He's a powerful king. And one day he starts thinking about his friend Jonathan. And he's like, man, is there anybody left in Saul's household that I can be kind to for, for Jonathan's sake? Is there anybody? And they said, well... Uh, Saul does have a servant. His name is Ziba. He used to serve Saul. He knows what's going on with the family. Why don't you talk to him? So he brings in Ziba. Here's the story. The king said, David said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, there's still a son of Jonathan who's lame in his feet. So the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, indeed, he's in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, and Lodabar. 
King David sent and brought him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. David said, Mephibosheth. He answered and said, here's your servant. So David said to him, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and said, what is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? The king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I've given your master's son all that belonged to Saul, to all his house. Here you got a young man who was a prince who was living far beneath his kingdom where he could have lived in the kingdom. He's living outside of David's care. He's living outside. He, actually, he's been running from David for a long time. And even though he could have lived so much better, and when I read this story, I think this is, this is a story of so many believers so here's Mephibosheth living so far. And the problem was he'd been lied to about who David was. So I'm sure his nurse told him, baby, I'm so sorry that you failed, but I was running to save you from dying and David wanted to kill you. And he probably all his life he'd heard that it was David's fault and David had been this way to him. And David, had, had, David was this awful person that, that wanted to hurt him. So he's afraid of David. In fact, when he comes into David's presence, he falls on his face. I mean, so here he is. He's afraid of David. And then he had just such a sense of unworthiness in him. David said, Mephibosheth, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you all this land that Saul had. And Mephibosheth goes, what is your servant that you should look upon a dead dog as I? And I don't know about anybody, but very few people refer to themselves as a dead dog. And in that day, a dog was not treasured like they are today. I mean, these were not little sweet foo-foo dogs. They were dogs that lived on the outside. If you were a dead dog, that's the lowest of the low. He had such a low esteem of himself. And he, maybe he just saw nothing but his, his paralyzed legs. But the way he approached David, he was so afraid. But David wanted to be good to him. David was sitting there thinking about, man, is there anybody left? Anybody left? I, I just, I man, Jonathan, I, I love Jonathan. Is anybody I can show the kindness of God? Anybody I can be good to? And they said, well, you, you know, you got, you got this boy Mephibosheth living down in, living with a Machir down in Lodabar. What did that sound like a bad part of town? Lodabar. That's, that's worse than cut and shoot. <laughs> I know, I know. I just, I love you all from cut and shoot. Don't. Cut or shoot me. Uh, <laughs> but you got to admit, that's kind of a wild name for a town. I mean, he's in low to bar. Where you live, boy? Low to bar. Not above the bar, low to bar. That's, that doesn't sound like a good spot. Can you imagine they go down to, they go down to, to Machir's house. King probably sent a whole bunch of people down there. They knock on the door. And, and, uh, so Machir opens the door and said, yeah. He said, uh, you got Mephibosheth here? He said, yeah. He said, he's coming with us. So they go in there, pick Mephibosheth, haul him out. That boy's probably scared to death. David had been looking for him all his life. Now it was coming down to it. He's afraid of David, but he did not realize that David wanted to be good to him. And David wanted to be good to him, not because Mephibosheth had done anything for David. David didn't even know this boy existed. 
He didn't do it. He said the only reason David wanted to be good to him because David loved Jonathan. And because of his love for Jonathan, he wanted to be good to anybody that was related to Jonathan. That's the kindness of God. He said, let me just show the kindness of God to this young man. And David restored him to a good place. Gave him all the land back. You imagine how much land Saul owned? He was a king. He owned a lot of land. He gave him a land. He told Ziba, who the servant, Ziba had 15 sons. He told Ziba, you and your boys are now working for Mephibosheth. So in one day, he goes from living poor to being a landowner and having servants. I mean, this boy got elevated. And not only that, you get to sit at the king's table. Well, that's a place of favor. Could you imagine when all the king's son get together, get ready for dinner, they're all sitting down, and all of a sudden they bring in this guy. He can't, he can't walk, so they bring him in, sit him down in the chair. All the king's sons are looking at one another going, finally somebody says, who are you? And he goes, I'm, I'm Mephibosheth. About that time, David comes in and goes, boys, this is Mephibosheth. He is the son of the closest friend I ever had in life, Jonathan. He is welcome at the table. He will be treated like one of us. To Mephibosheth. Now, those boys were smart. They all went, to Mephibosheth. <laughs> and he got treated like a king's son. From living in somebody else's house to having everything restored. And treated like a king's son. Mephibosheth is now going to have to think differently about David, about who he is, about life. What about us? Different kingdom, different thinking. Here's the first thing we have to, first thing, think differently about the king. So many people believe God really wants to hurt them. God's against them, that when they see an image of God in their minds, it's, he's stern, he's angry. He's looking at them like, mm, you're such a disappointment. One wrong move and I will swat you. And we never have realized. See, we've been told lies about how good God is. And we've been told, we hadn't been told, oh, God loves you. Oh, God is for you. Listen, guys, if there's anything we need to get, we need to think differently about the king of this kingdom because he is not against us, he is for us. And when Paul wrote to the church at Rome, he said this. He said, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Listen, guys, if you just took that one verse and memorized it and thought about it for the rest of the year, it would bless your life because when you realize that God is for you, it changes everything. If you know that he is for you, listen, when you know someone is for you, it changes your whole approach to them. Now, I'm, I realize this is typically my younger crowd, so I'm going to take you way back in time. When guys had to ask girls out either face-to-face -face or over the phone. It was tough times. <laughs> you could not text. You had to do it. You had to man up. It was tough. And, you know, if you, if you did not know that a girl was even interested in you, that's a different phone call. And you would call them on the landline phone. The phone would ring. Her father would pick it up. <laughs> hello? You're like, hello, hello. Is, is Susan there? Who is this? Um, um, Alan? <laughs> Susan! Some joker named Alan's on the phone for you. You want to talk to him? 
Susan's like, hello? Hi, Susan. Um, you, know, wouldn't, you wouldn't want to go out with me, would you? I didn't think so. You got to wash your hair? Okay, cool. We're good. Bye-bye. I didn't like those kind of calls. So, so I did pre-approach. I would talk to a friend who knew a friend who would check with a friend who asked her friend if she was interested in me or not. What does she think of me? And if the word came back, oh, Susan, she thinks you're cute, man. She thinks you're something. Oh, okay. That's a different phone call. Susan is for me. So now I go, Susan comes to the phone, goes, hello. And I'll go, hey, baby. <laughs> What's up? <laughs> That's a different call. When you know they're for you, you're not afraid to approach them. You approach them with confidence. When you know God is for you, you're not afraid of him. He's not going to hurt you. You approach him with confidence. They're like, thank you. We've got to think differently about our king, not the way we feel or not how traditions taught us. What does God's word say about him? And it says he's for you. Here's the second one. We need to think differently about ourselves. When Mephibosheth comes before David, he's on his face going, I'm, I'm a dead dog. I'm a dead dog. And we think, well, that's kind of bad. But how many people think poorly about themselves? How many think, people think about the weaknesses they have? They think of all the weak areas. Man, I'm not doing this right. I'm not doing this right. I'm going to tell you something. Focusing on your weak areas is never going to make you stronger. It will never make you stronger. So, well, I, I, listen, we, you, we need to focus on our strengths. I said, well, I don't have any strength. Yes, you do. Because if you've made Jesus your Lord, things have changed. If you've made Jesus your Lord, now you're coming to God, not on the basis, when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, now you come to God, not on the basis of who you are and what you've done, now you come on the basis of the fact you've accepted Him and you're united with Him. In 1 Corinthians, Paul wrote, excuse me, 2 Corinthians, Paul wrote the church. He said, he made him, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In him. When you made Jesus your Lord, you are united with him. And you've been made in right standing with God, not because of what you've done. It's because of what Jesus has done. It's not on our own. Listen, when I come to God, I don't come to God as Pastor Allen. Father, it's Pastor Allen. He says, so what? No one cares about that. I come in Jesus' name. Lord, I want to come before your throne based on what Jesus has done for me. He has cleansed me and washed me, and now I have right standing with you. Now listen. We're saying, that's good, Pastor Allen. That, good, that works for everybody. There's no caste system. There's no levels. There's you come to God. You come on the basis of what God has done for you in Jesus. Thank you, Lord. But I can stand before you, not in my righteousness, not in Pastor Allen's righteousness, in Jesus' righteousness. That's grace for what he's done for us. Well, that's a powerful thought. So then we have to stop thinking about what we're not. Start focusing on what God has done for us. So we have to think differently. Mark White is, was a pitcher, professional baseball pitcher. 2007, he got word that his aunt was getting elderly, having health problems. She wanted to sell her land. She had 50 acres of land in Massachusetts. So Mark White bought it from her at the appraised value of $50,000. She needed the money. He just wanted to help her out. But he started looking at the land. He thought, maybe I'll build a house here. So he's looking at the land. 
and he saw an outcropping of rock. He said, that's interesting looking rock. And he brought in a geologist who looked at the rock and said, well, actually, that's what they call Goshen stone. They said they use it to make uh, landscaping and sidewalks and patios. Said it sells for about $100 per ton. He said, but what I can tell, you've got over 24 million tons of that stone on your land. You know, they valued that property at $2 billion. On the surface value, on the surface, it's a $50,000 piece of land. But underneath the surface, it's a $2 billion piece of land. What you couldn't see. Listen, stop looking in the mirror or looking at your past to determine who you are. On the surface, you may look like you're about 50K, but underneath, because of what Jesus has done for you, you're a $2 billion person. We gotta, we gotta think differently about the king, about ourselves, and about God's kingdom. Think differently about God's kingdom. It's a real kingdom. In fact, the Bible calls it an everlasting kingdom. At 10,000 years from now, guys, we'll be standing in the kingdom and we won't be thinking about America, Russia, China. We'll be under one kingdom, one king. It'll be a marvelous thing. And I gotta, I gotta tell you this, God's kingdom right now, and, and, and by the way, you say, well, where is the kingdom? Jesus said, the kingdom doesn't come by observation. It's not here, not there. He said, the kingdom of God is within you. The domain of God, where God rules, that's within us. It's a big kingdom. You know, it's, it's bigger than America. Yeah. I identify with being in God's kingdom before I identify with being an American. Because one day America will pass away. And the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ and he will reign forever. Bigger than America. Bigger than Texas. In other words, I'm, a, I'm part of God's kingdom before I'm a Texan. Understanding I'm a naturalized citizen of Texas, I wasn't born here, but I got the, I got the papers. Um, bigger than Texas. The kingdom of God is bigger than your political party. I, I need to say that, listen. While I'm on that, I believe America's bigger than political party. Can we go back to being Americans who love our country yeah. and before we do anything like that? But the kingdom of God's bigger than that. Kingdom of God is bigger than your favorite football team. It's bigger. It's, a, it's, a, it's an eternal kingdom. And 10,000 years from now, when you and I see each other in heaven, we'll be walking around going, man, it's great to be here. And you'll be thinking, I'm just glad I'm here. I'm like, I'm glad you're here too. You listened to me for years. You better be here. <laughs> but we're going to be talking about how good God's kingdom is, how gracious God is, how wonderful it is. We won't be talking about what the Texans did or how bad Texas beat Alabama yesterday, which was really <laughs> Enjoy it now. We won't be talking about it then. But here's, the, here, here's my thing. And, and this is really important. We have a king 
in this kingdom. And it's not you. I'm I'm not trying to be cute. I'm serious. We have a king to this kingdom. It's not me. It's not you. A little while ago, I was struggling with some decisions that I had to make. And I, I knew what the scripture said. I knew what God's standards were. I knew what needed to be done, but I didn't want to do it. I know I'm the only one. I knew what was right. But it was so hard to do it. Just everything in my flesh did not want to do it. And the Lord spoke to me. I, I didn't hear a voice, but he spoke in my heart. I knew exactly what he was saying. He spoke to me. He said, you're not the king. I went, you're right, Lord. I am not the king. And I made the decision. And, and why? Because I have a king. Paul wrote the church again in Philippians, and this is what he said. For this reason, God also highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Of those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you realize there's a day coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus is the Lord, is the King of kings. Every knee, heaven, earth, under the earth, everyone. Avoid the rush. Do it now. Don't wait till then. Do it now. Say, Jesus, you are my Lord. And because I bow my knee to you, it changes how I think about everything. I'm not the king. He's the king. In New York City right now, there's a, on 9th Street, there's a store called B&H Photo. It is the second largest independently owned camera and video equipment store in the world. It's huge. Pre-pandemic, eight to 9,000 people a day would go into that store. It's massive. 70% of their business is actually done online. And they have a warehouse in Brooklyn. It's 200,000 square feet. If you took this building, our youth and children's building, and added another youth and children's building, that's about 200,000 square feet. It's massive. The, the business is owned by Hasidic Jews. These are the Jewish guys who, if you ever see them, they've got the braids and they wear the clothes like their ancestors wore in Eastern Europe in the 1800s. Very legalistic, very, but, but here's what's interesting. At one o'clock on Friday, they closed that store in New York City on 9th Street and it remains closed from Friday all day Saturday. In fact, if you go on their, their website, on Saturday, you can't even buy anything. You can look, but they won't confirm your order until they open up again. They observe the Sabbath. Someone asked him one time, they asked their, their, their director of communication, how, how do you guys do this? I mean, why would you consider closing? Because they close on Jewish holidays, they recognize the Sabbath, and they're closed on Black Friday and Saturday. They said, how in the world do you do that as a retail store? And the director looked at them and simply said, we respond to a higher authority. I thought, hey, that's good. But listen, listen, if Hasidic Jews can respond to a higher authority, 
how much more those of us who have been bought, who have been purchased by the Lord Jesus Christ, who have been made new creations in Christ, who've been given the hope and the peace and the grace and the strength, who now have the ability to stand before Almighty God without a sense of guilt and fear because of what Jesus has done. If they can bow their knee, how much more can I bow my knee? How much more can I respond to a higher authority? It's a great question. And maybe you've never made him king, never made him Lord. Maybe you've done that and gotten away from him. We're going to pray a prayer. Would you bow your heads with me just for a moment? If you're watching online, you can pray this prayer with us. But if you're here and you say, you know what, Alan, I, I don't, I, I've never made Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of my life, or I'm not sure if I have. Or maybe you've done that. And you realize, and I did it, and I, I got away from God. And I realized this is not where I want to live. I, I want to live under the domain of the king. I, I want to be a part of his kingdom where he's good. Maybe that's you this morning. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. We're not going to have you stand up or come to the front, but I'm going to ask you a question. If that's you, you say, Alan, I, I want to be sure that I'm right with the Lord or I want to come back to him. Would you pray for me? Slip your hand up real quick, just across uh, this auditorium. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for your courage. Thank you. Appreciate that. Anybody else? Say, Alan, that's me. Would you pray for me? Wonderful. Thank you. Obviously, I can't see you guys online. You can put your hands down here. I can't see you online. But if you're by yourself, I want you to pray this prayer with us. If if you're with others, you can pray it quietly. We're going to pray it with you as a church family. Say, dear God, I know mankind needs a Savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior is the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Head still bowed and eyes closed. Heavenly Father, thank you for those that prayed that prayer, for those that made a simple decision that brought them out of the kingdom of darkness into your wonderful kingdom of light. And for those who've come back home, we rejoice with them. And Father, for the rest of us, we're so glad to have a king who loves us, who gave himself for us. Thank you. We can think differently about you, about us, about life on this earth. And we'll give you all the praise for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message has blessed you. Don't forget to check us out on all the social platforms. We're uploading encouraging content on a regular basis. For more information, go to thearcchurch.com. Have a great week.